the trauma and also postnatal depression and other things lead to an increased prevalence amongst women. So it's really exciting to have a charity like Mercy Ministries working particularly with, well, Ari will say more about it, but particularly with young girls, younger women. Um, I've been involved in the Mercy story for about about eight years, um, when the idea was first hatched to open a house in, in Bradford. I was there when we were stripping the wallpaper and tearing all the old sort of furnishings and so on out of the house there. Um, I've been across to Nashville, which is the HQ, which is an amazing place. And um, I've met the psychiatrist who works with, 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 with Mercy out in, out in Nashville, a real inspiration. And I'm privileged to be on the, on the board of Mercy Ministries here. Um, they're in the process of... Um, looking over the next fairly short while to be opening a second home in the UK, which will take the number of beds from 40 up to 80. So it's so encouraging to see that happening. I'm not going to say any more about Mercy because Ari's going to come and do it herself. So a big hand for Ariana Walker. Thank you. I'm just going to kick over to Ari. She can introduce herself, do a short video, and then she's going to give us one of the talks that she's given many places around the country. So thank you so much. The way you said you invited me. Invited. <laughs> it's probably not the word I would use. <laughs> but that's what friends are for. Um, just out of interest, how many of you have heard about the work of Mercy Ministries before? Okay, how many not? Okay, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> I like to describe Mercy Ministries as an Isaiah 61 ministry. We have a, just a real deep sense amongst us of an anointing and a mandate on us to see the captive set free, to see lives transformed, to see hope restored, to see, um, you know, that, that, that whole, the brokenheartedness bound up and healed by Jesus. And we see and do that in a number of different ways. You've already heard about the whole many people know about the residential program that we run. It's for young women aged 18 to 28 with what we've called life-controlling issues, eating disorders, depression, self-harming, the effects of abuse. Uh, those, those, it's, it really is just a Christian discipleship program, but we do have a real ability and an anointed by God to really deal with, with that aspect of people's lives. Now that is very small number of people that, you know, if you're not aged 18 to 28, if you're not female, then you have no chance of coming to the Mercy Ministries residential home. And so we also do other things. We uh, have set up recently in the last couple of years, a remote support department. And when I say department, I mean one part-time person that we're working on it. We are a charity after all. But that uh, department, as we like to call it, really does, is there to support anyone, and I mean anyone who is dealing with these sorts of issues in their life. We uh, will uh, take phone calls, we'll have email communication, we send out resources, we will pray with people on the phone, we will just encourage people, and most importantly, we will, if, wherever we can, refer people to other ministries or charities or organizations that we are aware of that may be able to help them further than we can. So we are inundated, actually, with calls and emails from all types of people, parents, vicars, ministers, leaders, youth workers, anyone really who's just wanting some information or support or help um, or advice. And that's one of the things that we're really passionate about being able to provide. And the third thing that we do is what I'm doing today. 
We are, again, passionate about raising awareness of the issues that we are all facing, actually, whether we're Christians or not. Brokenness is prevalent. Uh, and we want to help equip and empower the church across this nation to be better able to respond to brokenness from a godly perspective, from a Christ perspective. We train leaders, uh, church ministers, anyone in pastoral care through our Empower training days, which all that information is available on our website, which is mercyministries.co.uk. And uh, let me just show you a quick DVD, it's five minutes. It does actually focus more on the residential part of what we do. Uh, but like I said, it's what we are probably the most known for. It's the most expensive part of what we do. And so, but it's also a delight to see uh, women's lives changed over the course of the six months that they're with us. And we just want to share a little bit about that side of Mercy Ministries. So take a look at the screens. You can look at those statistics and think that they're out there somewhere in your community, maybe in your workplace, out there in the world. But actually, in our experience at Mercy Ministries, those statistics are actually true in the church. It, and that's where we are passionate about coming alongside the church because we really just feel strongly that in order for the church to become everything she can become, to, to bring wholeness to a broken world, we have to find wholeness ourselves first. In order to be able to bring healing and reflect healing, we have to encounter that ourselves. We have to be able to operate out of overflow. We cannot give what we do not have as people of God. And so I am delighted that mind and soul exists. I am delighted that there are so many people in this room today to find out more, to be equipped, to be educated, because there really is a big issue. Emotional healing and the, the, the well-being of our souls, the well-being of the inner person is of utmost importance if we're going to be the kind of people that, that affect a generation. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be here. I remember a, a, a many years ago now, when I first started uh, being involved in Mercy Ministries, I was at a conference and I was on the stand like we have downstairs. And a young girl came to see me. She was 17, I think. She said to me, I look in the mirror and I hate what I see. Christian girl, Christian conference. Absolutely devastating to hear a girl speak with such conviction about her identity and image and I said to her well she said I look in the mirror and I hate what I see I said what do you see when you look in the mirror and she said with every ounce of her belief she said I see a fat an ugly girl who is worth nothing and in the seconds that followed her statement I felt the Holy Spirit say to me you need to tell her that she's looking in the wrong mirror and actually what transpired after that for a good 10 months or so was a journey that God took me on personally. Like I said, we can't give what we don't have. He took me on a journey of discovering we try and find out who we are from. They are common. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. We all have this sense of need and I did to, to know who we are, to have security, to have a sense of belonging and acceptance. It's just about where we find that. And there's a great scripture in James 1 verse 22 that says this. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a, a man who looks at his face in a 
looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Looking into God's mirror, finding out who we are, is an essential part of our own healing and our own maturity in Christ. You know, I, I, at Mercy, we often talk about a tree. We all grow a tree. Uh, and what we see in people's dysfunctional lives is this, the branches of the dysfunction. They are the things above ground, like a tree has branches above the ground. It has, you could say that eating disorders is a branch on the tree or self-harming or depression or addictions or an inability to have healthy relationships. There's a number of dysfunctional coping mechanisms or symptoms, if you like, branches of a tree. And what most of us do in the church, outside the church, in, in whatever environment we find ourselves is try to deal with the branch. We put all our resources, our energy, our efforts into chopping off a branch called self-harm or a branch called eating disorder and we try to deal with the behaviour. And you know as well as I do that if you do that on a tree out there, although we're in central London, we don't make how many trees we have. I'm from Yorkshire, we have lots of trees. You try to chop off a tree, a branch of a tree, then you know it's going to grow back either in the same place or somewhere else on that tree. And that is the same for us as people. If you just deal with the behavior, if you deal with the symptom, then you can maybe successfully do that. You could spend the rest of your life managing your behavior, spend the rest of your life being an addict and trying to not exercise that. Or, and what, this is what we believe at Mercy Ministries, you, do, you go underground, you deal with the root causes. And actually what's interesting is that no matter your age, your gender, your background, your whatever, where you've come from, the, the root causes of those symptoms are actually pretty universal. Because they're not to do with whether you're male or female, they're not to do whether, with whether you're young or old, they're to do with being human. They're issues of the human heart. They are things like abandonment, rejection, Shame, guilt, fear, anger. They are roots that have grown in the soil of the circumstances of our lives. And because we don't live in a perfect world and we're not brought up by perfect people and because we are shaped by the environment that we're in which is corrupt and which is hostile, that many of us end up with these kinds of roots that we grow. Now, not everybody grows a dysfunctional tree because, you know, Christ gets involved. But really, we, we, we need to look under the surface. And so one of the, the roots, I guess, that I would like to concentrate on in the, min, the, the few minutes I have left is, is self-esteem, low self-esteem. I didn't mention it earlier because it's the one I want to concentrate on. It's the one that we can come across all the time in the, the young women we deal with. But like I said, this is not a female issue. This is an issue of the human heart. This is an issue of identity. It's an issue of which mirror are we looking in to find out who we are? Where are we going for that sense of esteem? You see, I actually think that there is a, an, an issue with the very definition of the word self-esteem. I looked it up in the dictionary, and the Cambridge Dictionary defines self-esteem as a belief and a confidence in one's own ability. So let me say that again. Self-esteem is a belief and a confidence 
in one's own ability. I think we need a mind shift because I think that one of the reasons that self-esteem is so eroded across the generations and across humanity is because actually having a sense of confidence and, and, and ability in our own ability and a belief in our own ability excludes our creator. It's like, I will do this thing called life. I will meet my own needs. I will try and fix myself. I will have a response to the dysfunction around me. I will find my own way through the pain, is what our DVD says. And so make no wonder that our esteem is low because we were never meant to do this thing called life alone. We were never set up, we were never created to be in isolation, to, to figure our own way out. And so this sense of inadequacy and an inability to be successful in life without all sorts of additions and artificial stabilizers that help us stay upright in life. We kind of fumble our way through and think, you know, this is what I think it's supposed to look like. Really, self-esteem is more about God-esteem. Who are we in Christ? Who do we think we are in him? Who do we think he is in us? Do we understand who is? Do, do, do we know even how to change the way we think? You know, I think that I've so often looked in that mirror, that the one that says you can't do this. You have no way of achieving the things that God even calls you to do. And many of us have that same response where, where God will, will call us into something, into either a new job or a new ministry or to lead something or to step up in life. And we immediately have this sense of, I'm not sure if I've got what it takes. Or we might talk ourselves up and give good self-talk and go, I could do this. And, but yet we exclude God. And I, and I want to say today, you know what? We are inadequate. We are unworthy to be doing the things he calls us to do. But when we look in the mirror of who God says we are, he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Everything you are not, I am. And he steps into our situation. He steps into who, into the, our world, into our community, into our job, into our life. And he says, everything you're not. Let's be honest about all the things you're not. And instead of using them as a reason not to do the things that I'm calling you to do, why not let's do them together? Why not understand that it's not ever going to be your adequacy, your skill, your ability? I remember God saying to me, it's clear as day, when I was fretting about something he'd asked me to do and I was throwing him all the reasons, like Moses, like Gideon, like, every, like Saul who hid in the baggage, all the reasons why it shouldn't be me that does this. And God said to me, stop thinking you have anything to offer me that I don't already have, other than a willing and an obedient heart. That's all God asks from us. To be willing, to be obedient, to allow him into our hearts, into our lives, into our eternal mechanisms. He has equipped us. He has set us up for success if we apply the tools that the Bible talks about. And when it comes to how we think of ourselves, when it comes to a belief in our own ability, when it comes to needing God esteem, I believe that it's what God says over us that will change the way we view life, 
the way we, we see ourselves, the way we see our future, and everyone around us. I love John 8, verse 31 to 32. It's a conversation that Jesus has with the Jews who had believed in him, with his people, with God's people, with you and me, those who are believers, those who confess him as Lord. And he says this to them, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's a very, very commonly quoted scripture. Usually it says the truth will set you free. That's the bit that we've all jumped on. That's the bit that we quote, it's the bit we write in our Bibles, it's the bit that you have on your wall, the truth will set you free. It's not actually what Jesus said. He said, you will know the truth if you're my disciples, if you, there's an if, if you hold to my teaching, also translated as, in my book, if you look in the mirror of God's word, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, my followers, those who, who listen to what I say, who do what it says in the word, like... James says, then you will know the truth. So really, actually, it's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that you know that sets you free. It's the truth that you know. You see, that girl who came to see me, her truth that she knew was that she was fat and that she was ugly and that she was worth nothing. That was her truth. That's the truth that she knows. There are many such truths that we believe about ourselves that we live our lives by that cause us to have low self-esteem, that cause us to trip up, to question, to doubt, to fear, to stumble through life. So what is the answer? The answer isn't build up your self-esteem. The answer is look in the mirror of God's word. Find out what he says and start replacing the truth that is your truth with the truth that Jesus says of who you are. It's a, it's a very, it's renewing the mind. We all know it. If you read your word, it says it there. Do any of us actually do that? You see, when I come across the girls on our program, they know about renewing the mind. They know the word. Some of them have been through Bible college and everything. But when you talk about, when, when you listen to what comes out of their mouth and they say, I am worthless, I have no future, I'll never be free. You think, well, that's the truth you know. See, if you say that you know and don't do, then you don't know. So let's teach you how to renew your mind. Because that's where freedom is. That is where you'll find out who you are. You see, before you were eight years old, and I've heard five and I've heard six, so basically before you're very old at all, when you're still a child, your belief system is set in place. How you see the world, how you see yourself, how you relate to God, how you, the whole concept of your inner workings, your belief systems, thought patterns, they are set in place like train tracks. I got here by train and I got on a train that was going to end in King's Cross. Now if I don't want to go to King's Cross, I have no control over that because it's going to take me there. It's on a set of tracks. I'm not on a motorway in a car where I can choose where I want to go. It's a train track. And the only way to not end up at my end destination is to relay the track in a different direction. Our thoughts are the same. There's actually scientific evidence now that can show neurological pathways in the brain, actual tracks that our thoughts have made over the years, again and again and again. They actually, strangely, look like a tree. 
And we have to physically, this is why it says so in the word of God. You see, God knew how, he, he made our brains. He's not surprised that it looks like a tree. He's not surprised there's actual neurological pathways. He put them there. That's why he says you need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's an actual picking up of the track of the thought that says I'm fat, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, I'm not going to make it, I'm a failure. The things that there's evidence to suggest because people have said it, because you've evidenced it in your life by the circumstances that prove you're worthless or that proves that you're shameful, that proves that you're dirty, whatever the thought might be that captures you when no one is there to distract you. That thought, that pathway, pick it up, look at it and go, where is this taking me? Is this taking me to the mirror of God's word of who I am, an overcomer, a, a, a person redeemed, an heir, co-heir of Christ? Or is it taking me to death and destruction and an overwhelming sense of failure and doubt and fear? Is it, what is the destination of this thought? And so you pick it up and you relay it. Seriously, it is as simple as writing it down. It's as simple as finding the truth, the, the, the mirror of God's word, which is why you actually need to read it. You need to understand what God says. You can, see, a mirror will only reflect what you put in front of it. So when you want to know what God says about you, when you want to see your reflection in the light of God's word, guess what? You have to put yourself in front of it. You have to read it. You have to see it. You have to, it says in the James one, the, uh, scripture that I read at the beginning, frequently. Do it a lot. Do it constantly and do what it says. So when we read of renewing the mind, it's not a nice idea. It's an actual instruction of something to do. Take your thought captive. Examine where it comes from. Does this line up with what Christ says? If it doesn't, then you make it obedient to Christ. Let me do a little exercise with you. I'm going to ask all of you in a moment to... Um, Count to ten in your heads, silently, slowly. And then I'm going to give you an instruction that I'd like you to do. Okay, are we ready? Start counting. Now say your name out loud. About a half of you did that. Which is, I've done it in places where like three people did it. But that's the first problem. Most people don't follow the instructions. They think, I don't want to be the only one. Uh, what if it's a trick question? What if, you know, I make a fool of myself? I don't want, it's a bit embarrassing. I don't want to say it out loud. I'll say it really quietly, just in case it's a, there's some sort of trick to it. That's the half the problem is that we question and we don't want to do it. We don't want to put ourselves out there. We move past the instructions and the word quickly. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a nice thought. But we don't follow the instruction. For those of you who did follow the instruction, what happened to the counting in your head? You see, what you need to know about our thoughts and, and what goes on inside our heads is that you can't fight thoughts with thoughts. You have to fight thoughts with words. It's why Jesus said you speak to the mountain. 
God Almighty created heaven and earth by his word, not by his thought. There is something powerful that I don't think any of us really understand. There's something powerful about the spoken word. There is something about hearing your own voice say things. It's why words are weapons. It's why the things that have been spoken over us when we were young still echo in our heads. Words are powerful. And in order to change the way we think, we also need to change the way we speak. And so we find the truth of God's word and we speak it out over ourselves. Really, let me read you a, a, a common one. For instance, how about this one? Even when I do my best, it's not good enough. I can never quite meet the standard. Very popular one amongst Christians. Because we set the standard really high. Perfection, I think, someone was talking about earlier. Anything less than perfection falls short, which is completely opposite to what the word says. We all fall short, which is why we have Jesus. So the false truth is even when I do my best, it's not good enough. I can never meet the standard. Here's God's truth based on the word, but paraphrased into a statement. I am fully loved, completely accepted and totally pleasing to God. Regardless of how much I do or fail to do, I will remain fully loved, completely accepted, and totally pleasing to God. I will seek to be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. It's a statement based on various scriptures. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, for instance. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added is another one about having his idea of who we are a priority. Now speaking that, this is what we do with the girls on our program. Literally, you will see them walking around the grounds, speaking out these statements that they've written together with their facilitator. You know, linked directly to the things, the false reflections, the, the, the destructive thought patterns that they've had. The world calls it CBT, cognitive behavior therapy. God had it first. Renewing the mind. It's real. It works, it transforms our thinking, which transforms the way we behave. It's so important that we constantly, I guess, translate and transfer the words of the Bible into practical everyday things. I think sometimes we can get so familiar with the word, so familiar with what it says, that we forget it's actually living, breathing truth. It's, it's, it's the word made flesh. When we walk it out, when we speak it out, when we walk in the truth of what God says about us, it's the word become flesh. And I have seen in my own life, I have seen in the lives of countless now young women, where this simple activity of renewing the mind and changing the way we see ourselves by allowing God in and allowing him to speak his truth over our lives and then choosing to believe it, which is the bit that nobody else can do for you. Choosing to believe, which comes from hearing the word, which is why you need to speak it. And when that happens, transformation takes place. I am convinced utterly convinced 
that wholeness and healing and freedom and transformation can only be completely encountered with Christ at the center. We can have two-dimensional, we can have all sorts of alternatives, but really to live in total freedom, it starts on the inside out. It starts with Christ. It starts with the truth of his word. It starts with a very simple revelation of who he is, what he did, and how that affects us. And where we've been, what we've gone through, is actually irrelevant. Because whatever the problem is, Jesus is the answer. I've seen it so many times now that I am beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I don't know where you've been and what you've been through. I don't know what brings you into this room today. But I want to give you hope. I want to encourage you that actually it's not freedom, wholeness, whatever you want to call it. It's not out there. It's not beyond your reach. It's not something that you have to go, you know, and find somewhere. It's in your room. It's in your hands. It's in your relationship with him. It's in the word. And yes, you may need some help. Yes, you may need therapy. Yes, you may need other things too. But if you have all of those other things but not Christ, it's not, it's, it's not the same. Christ first. And all these other things, if you need them, is all we need. I'm going to stop and give some uh, time for questions and the roaming mic. I'm going to invite Rob back up to uh, organize that. Ari, Ari, thank you so much. And of course, you're exactly right. I, I invited you a few months ago to come and do an interview, but it was a panicked phone call at half past eight last night to actually come and give a talk. So pretty flawless for 15 hours notice, I reckon. So um, thank you so much for coming. Please, please do go down to the Mercy Ministry stand afterwards and talk to the team there, sign up to find out more, that sort of stuff. But we have got some sort of 10 minutes or so for, for questions today. So anyone upstairs, first of all? There's one person, oh, there's one person up in that side of the balcony. Yeah, we'll just get the microphone across to you there. Someone can pass it across. Thank you. Can we take a question downstairs while we get the mic sorted out? Is that okay? We've got a question down here? Yeah, just over there. Mike's just behind you. Hello, thank you very much. Um, George Orwell, writing in 1984, um, spoke, as you have just done, of living in a hostile world, in a hostile environment. And he spoke of a world in which people are held apart by walls of hatred, silence, and lies. People, ignorant of one another's existence, are, are encouraged by fundamentally governments to fear one another. And in our own world today, I feel very much by the media who presents the other as an enemy, whether they be a different race, a different sex. How do you think we as Christians can serve to reunite the world into a loving rather than a hostile environment 
thrust through the terrifying news the whole time and uh, distrust of other people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We've got about five hours to go. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure everyone qualified to answer that. Uh, do you know the, the thing that comes to mind immediately is what I started with, which is unless we have it ourselves, we cannot give it. Uh, and amongst the church itself, there is division and there is mistrust and there is a disagreement. And I think that there is a sense that God needs to move amongst his people to break down the barriers. And actually, I've been involved in ministry for probably 20 odd years now. And I have to say, I have seen a change. I have seen denominational walls be break, broken down. I've seen there to be a much, much greater sense of working in partnership a sense of working together and yes there are still differences in what we believe and how we believe things should be outworked but I do believe there is a greater sense of a desire amongst God's people to work together in unity and I would say unless we get that that we can't ever display to the world any sense of peace or harmony or unity so so I believe a commitment from individual people because that's all the church is is a bunch of individual people. If we all in this room make an individual commitment to walk in forgiveness, to not take offense, to uh, work hard towards unity and harmony, then for me that is the place to start. It has to start small. We can't start with big ideas and policies and all sorts. It has to start here in this room, in our hearts, in our lives, in our commitment to each other. Thank you. Thank you. Have we, have we got the balcony microphone working? Yeah, I think it's working. <laughs> Great. Um, I just wanted to say thank you, uh, you know, because it's been meant to encouragement when you talked about a tree with branches and being very focused on the behaviour and the outcomes, because I've um, suffered with obsessive compulsive disorder for many, many years, and I've beaten myself up horribly with not being able to stop that pattern and rituals. So I guess, am I right in Generally speaking, it's about understanding what the root causes of the behaviour is. So the o OCD behaviours, it's a very much a behaviour-centred uh, activity, if you like. It, yeah. it, 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 it determines what you do yes. and how you do your day. Mm. Dealing with that has to, that you can, there's lots of techniques you can use, distraction and all sorts of things, but actually to deal with, with the root cause of why you feel the need to do that. That was the questions to start asking. Why do I? Why am I compelled? What is it underneath there? Fear? What I'm afraid of? Why has fear got such a stronghold? And start backtracking, and that's where the Holy Spirit will help you significantly, and where a therapist will also help you, especially a Christian one, where you can do those two things in tandem. But if you want to add anything, to that. no, I think I think it's it's about if you say the, the sort of the roots and the shoots, isn't there? Yeah. So. You know, in, to a certain extent, slightly different questions are being answered, which is, um, let's suppose you're washing hands for several hours a day. Actually, one of the first things is to try and improve your condition of your skin and try and wash your hands slightly less. And you can do that 
relatively quickly, but the deeper work is harder. And I think, you know, one of the things that I very much believe, and I know is core to the way that Mercy Ministries work, is you've got to do a number of things at the same time. So, it, yes, it's about speaking stuff out and walking around the grounds. It's also about living in the Mercy House in community with other people. It's, it's also about um, working with some of the behaviours, working with where the young girl has come from, where she'll go back to, which might involve an NHS team who may be doing specific therapies for some of the OCD thoughts and behaviours as well. So it's not either or, it's just, yeah. you know, foundations and top framework. Yeah, I was really addressing a, a balance where people could get, because it's what you see uh, and the behaviour is what's presented, people can get quite uh, focused on dealing with the behaviour and I was just bringing it, and you know, there's, there's another side of the coin as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah. One from this side over here maybe. Um, yeah, a couple of people at the front. Maybe the lady right in the front row, first of all. Do you want to do it through signing? Give the microphone to one of the signers. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ariana, for your talk. I really appreciated that. Uh, I'd like to raise an issue in regards to disability within the church. And we have lots of groups of people who acquire disabilities as well, not just those that are born. And, of course, people acquire mental illness as well. And I think that that is something that's maybe more under profile as well. I think because there aren't charities in the same way. And I think there needs to be some acknowledgement of people that acquire disabilities and how then that can lead to additional issues. Like, you know, it becomes almost oppressive because people don't want to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't feel equipped to do so. And of course, I'm obviously I'm deaf. I'm speaking here for myself today. But I know lots of friends of mine who were deaf who've left the church because a lot of people within the church see deafness as a bad thing. They want to cure it. And actually, I think that there's an there's a unrecognised issue there, I think, maybe, where people have an issue, perhaps, about disability. They're afraid of it. They don't know what it is. They don't know what it means. And I think maybe we need to spend some time looking at that as well because there are a lot of people who are disabled that are Christians who love Jesus and they're used by Jesus everywhere in different places. And the Bible's full of disabled people constantly doing excellent work on God's behalf. And so I just wanted to raise that as well. Thank you very much. Amen. <laughs> Good point. A lady a, a few rows back. I think, had your hand up. Yeah, just there's a wonderful organization called Churches for All, um, which Premier and Mind and Soul are part of. It's one of the reasons why we have signers at, at the event. So please do have a look on their website. They've got links to lots of particular supports for particular disabilities, but totally echo what you're saying. You know, the issue here is not about the specifics. It's about the attitude and the culture that we're in as well. Okay. Hi, Irene. You talked about um, the issues of things like eating disorders, self-harm, etc., not being a male or female thing, but you also acknowledged that of those who, who come for help, and in fact, of those who present with the problem, there is an overwhelmingly female majority. Do you think there are things in our culture, not only the culture of Glamour magazine, but also the culture of the churches sometimes, um, that work towards making women feel inadequate and... Um, as 
well as I mean, there's the thing about you know men not acknowledging their problems and not going for for help. But at the same time, I think there are tremendous forces in our society that um, make women feel like failures in some way, like they've got something missing, and um, and does the church need to work harder to affirm the equality of men and women? As as with another small question, thank you. There's like <laughs> six questions in that. Uh, yes, the church does need to work harder. Uh, it's one of the things that the church is perhaps a little divided on, um, and we just have to find a way through that. Uh, I think one thing I would say is that brokenness is not male or female. Men are as broken as women. Women are as broken as men. You know, often men are portrayed as perpetrators, women are portrayed as victims. That is absolutely not true. That there are lots of ways to perpetrate. Women can be manipulative, they can be, you know, there's all sorts of, we're just broken as humanity. And so it, it's presented differently. I think men, I have two teenage sons and a husband. I live with men. Uh, I have become an expert at entering the man cave and talking them out of it. Um, <laughs> so I think it can appear that women have more issues and are perhaps, but actually I, I think it's more to do with there the being perhaps more of a permission for women. Um, I, you know, whether that's right or wrong, uh, men tend to want to hold it all together, do not show weakness, do not show failure, do not show doubt, do not show fear, do not show that you don't have it all together, um, and they wear that mask quite successfully for many years. Uh, women obviously also have that. And, uh, so my, my point is, it's six in one and half a dozen of the other, basically. <laughs> Go on. It's not equal, the statistics show that, and maybe it's because they're keeping that mask on that men are yeah. violent against women. Yeah. But you know, there are hundreds and not thousands of times more men being violent against women than yeah. vice versa. So th there is a mismatch there. Absolutely, but that's what I mean about there being a different expression of the brokenness. Yes. Men's expression of brokenness, that violence, violence against <laughs> women, it does not come from a whole person. That is, that is a broken person. There are reasons why men are violent towards women. Uh, and, and that breaks my heart. I, 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 it breaks my heart that men are struggling so much against what the, the environment they're brought up in and the abandonment they feel and the lack of fathering. In our, like, th there's a parentless generation growing up. There are young men and young boys growing into a world that they have no idea how to navigate. And their dysfunctions are being amplified again and again and again by as much media attack as women have on their body image, men have on their aggression. You know, my kids, the, the, the video games available to my teenage boys is appalling. It is appalling. And so I, I can't stand back and go, men are the perpetrators, women are the victims. I have to say, we are all broken. We are all desperately trying to find a way through. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. I think there's a question up in the balcony here. I cannot see a thing as I've got a spotlight in my face. So please start speaking. Right. Hello. Um, thank you, um, Mrs. Walker. Um, for me, I'm a single mother. I became a Christian as a lone parent. And what I find is my desire is for Jesus, but I'm constantly bombarded by other Christians telling me that I should be wanting a husband, but I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus and I don't understand. Well, the Lord found me completely broken, and he's not done with me yet. And when he's finished with me, maybe there's Mr. Wright over there, I don't know. But for now, we just want Jesus. Can, can, can we encourage each other not to be bombarded? You know, you need a husband. You know, no, I need Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Isaiah 54 answers that one for you. He is your husband. He calls himself that, so you'd be perfectly happy with that. <laughs> okay, um, one more question down here. Yeah, gentleman in the blue just over there. Just get a microphone. I think we'll pass it across, pass it across from the centre. Gen gentleman is in the blue. I was pointing to the chap. Yes, just in the blue there. Yeah. There'll be more time for questions later on today. We'll take one more question now. Okay. Hello, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a therapist. I'm a Christian. I'm a therapist. But I don't use God's word in my therapy sessions. And it's something that I sort of, I've got questions about or struggle with. And listening to you, Ariana, it's, it's almost, if I'm understanding this right, you use God's word within your, your treatment or your, the way you help people. Um, so for me, is it, I just wonder what your thoughts are for, yeah, for that question. That, as I said, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't speak God's word. In the, I don't speak about God in my sessions. I don't speak about Jesus. I work with Christians, non-Christians. Yeah, I see people as people. I don't, yeah. I don't differentiate between Christians, non-Christians. It's, it's just the question that comes up for me at, at things like this when people sharing how they use God's word. So I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Um, I, my question would have been, who is it you're helping? Uh, you know, are they Christians, are they not Christians? Uh, for us, we are a Christian discipleship program. It would be remiss of us not to use the word of God. We, we are based entirely on the word of God. We are Christ-centered. We, like, we don't take any government funding for that reason, so we don't have to dilute the message of the gospel. It's, it's what the young women who come to us, that's what they want. It's what they're asking for. They can go anywhere to get the alternatives. There are not many places who do what we do in the way that we do it, so they choose us because of that. It's a question you have to answer yourself. What do you want to deliver and who is it to? Uh, and if you are a Christian therapist working with Christians, I would suggest you use the word of God. If you're not working with Christians, then you have some restrictions on you anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was my point, really. I, I, you know, sometimes I do work with Christians, sometimes it will be... So I'll, I'll classify myself as a Christian who's a, a therapist. I'm not a Christian therapist, yeah. so it's, it was, it was, it's just yeah. a, a question of... Well, it's a, two, two or three sort of quick comments on that. I suppose the first is, even if you are a Christian working with Christians, sometimes Christians need to mm -hmm. question. They, they, they could yeah. have inherited their parents' faith, yeah. and they may need to question, they may need to 
de-individuate from their parents' faith before they can reintegrate with their father. So, you know, giving someone a Bible verse is not what Abby's talking about. We're talking about allowing questioning time in facilitation, coming up with a, a, a balanced and biblical statement and then trying to walk that out. It, 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 it's not about not allowing questioning. Yeah. The second thing, obviously, is in the NHS, I don't um, use the Bible uh, almost exclusively. I mean, in actual fact, I talk about God with quite a lot of my patients because many of them have Googled me before they come to see me. So <laughs> I never have this whole disclosure issue. They all ask me. Um, so... <laughs> the best way to do it um, but you know I think it, it, it's not always appropriate and um, the certain third thing I suppose is that even if you're not using the word of God you can still use the Holy Spirit yeah. so you can still pray and and God is always there and can work yeah. through many things so so be encouraged be appropriate be safe be legal be hopeful yeah. if that makes sense thank you thank you very much can we just give a huge round of applause to Ariana Walker and thank you so much.